0: Namo tassa bhaka arahato sammasam buddhasap. Namo tassa bhaka arahato sammasam buddhasap. Namo tassa bhaka vato arahato sammasam buddhasap. Buddhaṁ dhammaṁ saṅkhaṁ namāsāmi. I'd like to uh, offer a few uh, reflections on this very auspicious uh, day, the Visakha Puja celebration here at uh, Amravati on this uh, beautiful summer's day. I'm very very happy indeed to see uh, so many people gathering together, particularly uh, people from so many different uh, countries. Uh, The the community is really a a global one. And... uh, it reminds me very much of the, um, uh, the, the story of the, the dreams that the, uh, the Buddha had the night before the Enlightenment or some days before the Enlightenment. It describes how uh, he had a, a number of very uh, clear and significant dreams and one of them was uh, a dream of birds of many different colors all gathering around his feet and then as they landed, they all, uh, they all turned uh, white in color. They all kind of became unified in their, uh, in their color and uh, it's signifying the, the different uh, strands of Indian society, the different uh, groups, and different castes in Indian society all gathering together and uh, in a sense being unified in their spiritual qualities. And so uh, just uh, today coming uh, in contact with people from Thailand, from Sri Lanka, from Burma, from uh, India, Bangladesh, uh, uh, Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, Korea, uh, Japan. Uh, I don't think, I've, uh, we have a friend from Buriat, from Siberia who comes once in a while. I think that's probably maybe the only Buddhist country not represented <laughs> uh, today. So it, it really is a great joy to see that uh, Amaravati is a place that uh, uh, is a, a home for people of um, uh, many, many different um, nationalities, uh, different countries where Buddhism has been established for many years, and also from the United Kingdom, from <laughs> from Britain as well. A few of us Brits here, uh, uh, as well as the uh, uh, say representatives from many different uh, Buddhist countries where the Buddhist Sasana, the Buddhist religion, has been established for uh, for many centuries. So it's it's lovely to see us all joining together and being unified in this quality of uh, of being sahadamikas or fellow Dharma farers, or as the Buddha uh, would put it, there we are sisters and brothers in uh, in aging, sickness, and death. This is uh, something that that unifies all of us. That uh, whether we happen to be young or old, whether our bodies are very mobile and functional not so mobile and not so functional that uh, we are all in the same boat we, we all share these same human qualities and so that coming together in a monastery coming together to reflect on the buddha's teachings and also to be witness to the uh, going forth of these two uh, good uh, people today taking on the, the novices training this helps to point to what we have uh, say uh, in common with each other, what we share in our human life. We all breathe, we all eat, we all have bodies, we all have minds, we, uh, we share a life together, we're all part of a, of a natural order. And as I was saying a few times during the ceremony, so much of the Buddha's teaching is pointed towards letting go of our self-centered view and, and changing the view of our life, changing the view of our world from one that is self-centered to one that is Dhamma centered or, or centered upon nature. One of the, the teachings I often reflect about, reflect upon at this time that, uh, is a, a dialogue that uh, you find in the middle length discourses, it's called the Sutta on the Wonderful and the Marvelous. And uh, uh, I was recounting this on the full moon day uh, but I'll, I'll repeat it again today, even though uh, We've heard it before. Many of us have heard it before. It's it's a powerful source of reflection, and it recounts an incident where uh, Ananda and another uh, and a number of the monks were gathered together in a in a hall uh, in the in one of the Buddha's monasteries, and Ananda was recounting to the group some of the stories around the miraculous events uh, of the uh, the Buddha's birth, when the Bodhisatta was born uh, in Lumpini and uh, how uh, say for example that uh, as soon as he was conceived in his mother's womb then she didn't experience any kind of discomfort, her mind became naturally virtuous and pure, um, she, uh, she gave birth to him uh, standing up, she was making the journey um, uh, through the forest in, in Lumbini and uh, the, the baby uh, arrived before she uh, could, could reach uh, the, the home and so he was born in the forest. And that uh, uh, as soon as the, the baby was, was born, she, he was born while the mother was standing up, Queen Mahamaya was standing, and it said that devas, uh, angelic beings, appeared to catch the baby and to, to uh, uh, say receive him on, on arrival and delivery. And then that warm and cool streams of water appeared from the air to bathe the, the newly born baby. And that as soon as, uh, as soon as he was born, then he immediately stood up and started walking. Uh, and then with each footstep, a lotus flower popped up from the ground under each uh, under each step. And after taking seven steps, then uh, the infant uh, 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 Bodhisatta, the Siddhartha Gotama, raised his hand in the air and said, I am the leader in the world, I am the foremost in the world. So uh, that's all pretty miraculous. You know? <laughs> There's some extraordinary stories and whether... Uh, we take them to be historically uh, accurate, or whether we think of them as as uh, mythological tales. Uh, uh, the stories are, are there, and that uh, certainly when uh, Ananda was recounting them, yeah, that uh, and uh, it was say so going through the detail of these stories, the people who are listening, the other sangha members, are, you know, are paying close attention and impressed, yeah, uh, and. Uh, struck by the the power and wonder of these events and after each of these descriptions uh, Ananda says and this is the wonderful and marvelous quality of the Buddha that uh, these extraordinary and strange miraculous events occurred just right at the time of his birth. So that's why it's called the Sutta on the Wonderful and the Marvelous. So then at this point in the, in the account, then the Buddha arrives in the hall. And as he does frequently in these uh, occasions, he says, because uh, everyone stops talking as soon as the Buddha arrives. You know, the Buddha walks into the room, of course. Everything goes still. <laughs> so then the Buddha says, what were you talking about? What was the subject of discussion that you were engaged in that, that uh, stopped when I arrived? What were you talking about? So then Ananda, being blessed with perfect recall, then... Recounts the, uh, the all the details of what he was saying, and again after each of these incidents, these amazing things uh, about the 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 uh, the mother of the Buddha's pregnancy and his and his birth and so forth. He says this is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Blessed One, and is it, the Buddha doesn't doesn't deny that any of those things happened. He doesn't say, well, that, it wasn't really that way uh, at all. He uh, uh, he listens and he uh, say uh, accepts the account as Ananda has given it as a, as an accurate record, and then at the end of the, uh, Ananda's description, then the Buddha says, "Do you want to hear another wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata?" And uh, the, you, as I imagine that incident, you can feel like, "Oh, I thought that was amazing enough already. Now the Buddha's going to tell us, the master's going to tell us some even more amazing and incredible, so sort of colorful things," and. Uh, and so then uh, what the Buddha does at that point is he, he shifts the attention from this sort of miraculous and strange to what is really beneficial to us. And he says when the Tathagata experiences a feeling arising uh, in, in his mind, he knows this is a feeling. He knows it's arising, he knows it's abiding in the mind, he knows it's fading away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathagata. When a, a a perception arises in the mind of the Tathāgata, he knows this is a perception as it arises, as it abides in the mind, as it fades away. This too is a wonderful and marvelous quality of the Tathāgata. When a thought arises in the mind of the Tathāgata, he knows this is a thought arising in the mind. It's arising, it's, it's abiding and it's passing away. These too are wonderful and marvelous qualities of the Tathāgata. So, uh, this, uh, and in uh, 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 Lumposumato's copy of the the middle length discourses, the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, which uh, when I inherited his kuti, his his dwelling, I also inherited his copy of the book, (laughs) it's kind of highlighted and underlined this whole paragraph. uh, is is marked by his by his hand in uh, the copy of the Middle Length Discourses because uh, Lumbosamato felt this was such a significant and important teaching because uh, we can all be dazzled. I mean, if I floated up into the air and started delivering this discourse from you know uh, from the lotus positions sort of in uh, <clears throat> whilst flying, that would probably get a few views on YouTube. You can see they they got a camera running here that, uh, wow, it's amazing, Ajahn Amaro is flying, wow, incredible, amazing, extraordinary. Uh, <clears throat> and then if I was delivering this discourse while I was flying, you'd probably be paying more attention to the fact that I was flying than the content of the words that I'm saying. <laughs> that uh, if, I'm, if I'm floating in the air saying, uh, it's wonderful and marvelous that we can watch our minds, the, the attention would go to the fact that this person's flying. <laughs> But the, what the Buddha is doing in this, this teaching is saying, okay, maybe as a baby I was able to walk and talk and, and flowers were popping up under my feet. But the real miracle, the amazing thing, the really wonderful miracle is we can watch our minds. That's, that's a miracle that is really useful. That's something that's of extraordinary value and power. Because even if uh, the, those stories are absolutely true and that the, the Buddha at, at birth was able to walk and talk and flowers were popping up out of the ground under his feet, how does that help us today, two and a half thousand years later? It, it's an amazing story, it's, an, it's a, a powerful story, but the skeptical mind can go, yeah, well, it's just a story, it's just fairy tales, you know, who knows whether it really happened that way. But uh, the fact that we can watch our minds right now that is of, of immediate and uh, and uh, direct significance. That's a, that has a a power within our lives today that that's guaranteed that we can we can see for ourselves and can benefit us uh, very directly and and fully. Uh, so that in that uh, that teaching, I feel it it carries a spirit of the Buddha's way, which is tremendously practical. That he knew that even though he was an extraordinary person and he could just be an object of, of devotion, uh, what was more important was rather than just having a, a kind of a powerful uh, and inspiring, glamorous figure, uh, a symbol to, to admire and to look up to, uh, the Buddha was more of a, uh, of a practical teacher. He was uh, uh, what they can call a, 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 he was a pragmatic teacher. So he was more like a... a um, uh, someone who gives you a set of tools and shows you how to use the tools rather than saying, you know, look, look how wonderful I am, you know, I have reached complete and perfect enlightenment, um, aren't you impressed? I mean, I'm, I'm use, deliberately using a sort of inflated language, but... But he doesn't. He says, uh, enlightenment is possible. Uh, uh, I would, uh, If you take my word for it, I would say enlightenment is possible. And if you're interested in arriving at that quality of enlightenment, of really freeing your heart from suffering, from freeing your, your heart from insecurity, from unhappiness, from fear and, and craving and, uh, and uh, all the stresses and burdens of life, here are some tools, uh, these, are, these are the tools, these are, this is what they're called, this is how they work, and let me show you how to use them, so that uh, I feel this is a, a, an incredible blessing, and one of the reasons why uh, so many of us are, 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 are gathered here together on a beautiful Sunday afternoon, we're not down at the beach, we're not uh, at the fairground, <laughs> we're not uh, just uh, uh, sort of distracting ourselves, but rather giving our attention, to gathering together with like minded people to reflect on the buddha 's teachings and to to say take the buddha 's life and his wisdom as a, as an example, because this has a power to to change our life so uh, at this monastery Amravati we emphasize the the practice of meditation uh, and the quality of uh, virtue living uh, according to the, the precepts and uh, with the practice of meditation uh, along with the uh, say the practice of dhana or generosity because uh, particularly with meditation and with, with virtue this is the way that we can most effectively watch our minds uh, if we want to be able to follow the Buddha's path and say uh, to know a, a, a sensation, to, to know a feeling as it arises, as it abides and passes away, to know a perception or a thought as it uh, arises, abides and, and passes away, then we have to bring our attention to the present moment. We have to know how to watch our minds. So one of the the, the wonderful things that uh, I feel very very. Uh, glad that Amaravati can provide is an ongoing instruction in meditation. Every week we have a Saturday afternoon meditation class, we have a retreat center where the, uh, all the places are, uh, are booked. It's a bit of a problem, we haven't got enough places to accommodate everyone who wants to come on retreat there. But I feel that uh, the more that, that uh, uh, everyone can say, take the opportunity to make time and... Uh, and put effort into meditation, then the more we will truly be able to watch our minds. And that uh, when we are able to do that, it's, it's transformative for ourselves and also for the people that we live with. Say for example, if you have a, a feeling of jealousy or a feeling of, of anger, you've, you know, you're annoyed with your, your brother or your sister or your, your father or your child, <laughs> a wave of, of, of anger, of, of aversion, comes up in your, in your heart. So if we don't know how to watch our, our minds, if we don't know uh, how to do that, then we either follow that angry feeling and we find ourselves in an argument with our father or a mother or a child or a sibling, a partner. Uh, or we suppress that. We think, oh I'm supposed to be a Buddhist, I'm trying to, I'm trying to practice Buddhism, I shouldn't feel anger. And we, we, bottle it, we bottle it up and, and then it's likely to explode later on. But if we know how to, to watch our minds, we're able to know that mood, know that feeling of uh, aversion. You know, somebody says something that we find upsetting and, uh, and we are able to know, oh this is an angry feeling, this is a, 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 an irritated feeling. Uh, and we can watch it arise we can watch it as it takes shape and we can watch it fade away we don't have to suppress it we don't have to follow it so that in uh, in the thai language uh they it's it's easy to express you say "Yeah, do arom mai dam arom to you watch the mood rather than follow the mood <laughs> so that uh, the more that we are able to commit our time, our effort, our energy to meditation, then the more that we are able to develop that skill. So then that has a direct effect on your family life, on your working life. Uh, if you feel angry with your boss or with somebody else on the, on the street, you know, if you're driving on, on the road and somebody cuts you off, you know, you know, how dare you! <laughs> then if you are able to watch that feeling, then you can find a way to work harmoniously with the, the people on the road, with the people in your office or your, your workplace, with the people in your family. You're not suppressing that feeling, but you're not, uh, you're not um, uh, following it, you're not buying into it either. So that benefits you, and it benefits the, the people that you work with. It benefits the people in your family also, so everyone gains <laughs> Everyone benefits in that way. So that uh, this, uh, the teaching that the Buddha gave to Ananda and the other Sangha members on that occasion, that uh, he, he wasn't joking, that's a wonderful and marvelous quality of the, uh, the awake mind, is that it, we can know our feelings, we can know our thoughts, we can know our perceptions. When we do that, then uh, again, this helps to shift the perspective from being self-centered, to being uh, one centered on dhamma or centered on nature, because when we uh, uh, we learn to, to watch the mind in this way, then a feeling of of uh, say a- anger or aversion or a feeling of of, uh, of fear or jealousy, a negative emotion, we can recognise well this is part of nature. This is this is something that is. Uh, is uh, uh, the result of being born in the human form. Uh, If you're you're a human being, you can experience jealousy, you can experience anger, you can experience fear, you can experience greed, uh, just as you can experience love and kindness and and compassion, generosity, uh, unselfishness. You can experience caring and thoughtful feelings. Uh, We didn't invent these, right? Uh, often if we have a particularly negative emotions, we feel like I've got a jealousy problem, or I've got a lust problem, I've got an anger problem. Yeah, I'm a really angry person, I'm a lustful person, I'm a jealous person, I'm a fearful person. Yeah, I've got a problem with this. We make it very personal. Um, or if it's our positive things, so we, we take those personally as well. I'm a very intelligent person, or I'm a very creative person, or I'm, a, I'm a very generous person. Maybe even think I'm a really humble person. That's a bit a bit weird. <laughs> Sometimes it can be that I'm the most humble person in our, in Amravati. You know, it's like, what? But uh, <clears throat> so we make it very personal, and uh, and yet we didn't invent we didn't invent kindness. You know, you didn't invent compassion. You didn't invent wisdom. You didn't invent. like you didn't invent anger or fear or greed. We, as a human being, we experience these qualities. They're, they're part of na- the patterns of nature, just like the way that, that oak, these oak timbers that form the, the framework and, and the pillars and the, the rafters of this, uh, of this temple. You know, that, that's how oak works, the bricks and the cement in the walls. So that's how bricks are, that's how cement is. So these uh, stone tiles of the floor, that's how they are. Uh, we didn't. I, I didn't invent the oak tree. I didn't invent uh, limestone. That was all around before I showed up. I didn't invent anger. I didn't invent lust or fear. I didn't. I didn't invent kindness or, or wisdom. So when we uh, train the 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 uh, the mind to to watch its, to know itself, to watch its qualities, we can begin to recognise what we feel in our heart and what we take in such a personal way, these are patterns of nature. We feel it here, in, in this heart, in this mind, but these are following the laws of nature, the shape of anger, the shape of fear, the shape of kindness, the shape of, of wisdom and and love and uh, generosity. They are patterns of nature, just like the, the grain of an oak timber or the shape of a of a the silver birch leaf or the, the, the uh, patterns of the... Uh, in the limestone uh, tiles, Uh, these are patterns of nature. When we we see things in a a nature-centered way, a dhamma-centered way, then uh, it it shifts the, the whole perspective. There's a whole different attitude towards life, so the things that are very positive and, uh, and wholesome we don't take them as achievements or like you know look at me i'm wonderful we don't get conceited or inflated k- about that and the things that are harmful and destructive we don't get self-critical or, or filled with negativity about those but rather we reckon it, uh, we recognize if it's unwholesome and and uh, and uh, and, uh, and say painful then if that's followed then it'll be difficult for me it'll be difficult for others if that angry feeling that jealous feeling is is followed, then this one will suffer, that one will suffer, everybody suffers. (laughs) We all lose. If it's a wholesome quality uh, of generosity, of kindness, of compassion, of wisdom, then we recognize if that's acted on, if that's given energy and given life, then we benefit and others benefit, everybody benefits. So in this way, we're able to uh, say recognize uh, our life from a a, a uh, non-free-of-self view. And uh, one of uh, Lumpur Sumaito's most recent books, I think the the most recently published one, is called Don't Take Your Life Personally. And I think that's the most wonderful book title. I think you could just have the title and all the the pages of the book could be blank. All you need is the title. (laughs) Just don't take your life personally. Because that's the whole story, isn't it? If we can just... This body, it's an aspect of nature, whether it's tall or short or fat or thin or dark or light, does it really matter? It's like going up to an oak tree and saying, you're overweight. You know, or, your, your, your skin is all, your bark is really wrinkled. You know, you've got a lot of wrinkles. He said, well, I'm an oak tree. You know, that's what oak trees are like, you know. Or like going up to a birch and say, your skin's really smooth, have you had Botox? You know, it's like, no, a birch tree, we all look like this. The, skin, the bark of a birch tree is smooth. The bark of an oak tree is, is, is wrinkled. That's how they are. But yet, how much uh, uh, effort and time and, and energy gets spent because of whether our, we, we've got oak bark instead of birch bark <laughs> in, in terms of our skin and so forth. So when we, we shift the, the view, we let go of self-view and see uh, this life and uh, the lives of others in terms of dhamma, then we recognize that uh, if we don't take it personally, life gets a lot easier. It doesn't mean that we're, we're kind of numb or we don't do anything. We don't, it doesn't mean that we don't kind of take action or that we don't care, not at all. We're able in a sense to be in tune with life in a much more uh, harmonious way. We're not just reacting to like and dislike, gain and loss and praise and criticism, but rather we're able to uh, attune. So if you're planting an oak tree, you look after it like this. If you're planting a beech tree, you look after it like that. If you're planting a chrysanthemum or a rose, you look after it this way. If you're you're planting a a geranium, you look after it that way. Different plants are looked after in different ways. Different aspects of our life need different things. Uh, but we do, if we don't take it personally, we are able to look after our life, take care of our work, and, and look after the, the people around us with a lightness of heart, with a, a, a quality of, of adaptability. In this way, uh, and uh, I feel that... Uh, I mean, I I mean made his book, the content is really good as well, but the title... <laughs> It just, uh, to, uh, just to just re- to remember the title. Don't take your life personally. If uh, if you just need one little nugget of teaching, then that really is is uh, enough to take with us. Because if we don't take it personally, it uh, it lightens the heart so much, and that the the things that are difficult and painful, we we it doesn't mean that we don't. Uh, look after them or, or, or don't work with them, like if you have uh, strong tendencies towards feeling fear or, or insecurity or anger, it doesn't mean that we, uh, we don't give attention to that, but we, we don't make it into my personal problem. We don't make it into something that is who and what we are, but we rather recognize this is a strong habit. This is the way that the, the, the mind, it's a say it's it's a, uh, a tendency of the mind. And it's quite strong, and that it, but if it's followed, then uh, painful consequences come with that. We recognize that and we can work with it, but we don't have to turn it into me and mine. Or When, the, when we shift the, the, the perspective in this way and let go of self-view, then we recognize that really the mind is not a person. The mind is a set of natural qualities. We think of my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, my memories, my emotions, my, my loves, my hates. A lot of my, <laughs> a lot of me and mine. But if we take this principle of not taking life, uh, don't, take our, don't take your life personally, then you recognize that the mind is not a person. The mind is an aspect of nature. It's, uh, and this is a, uh, the, the Buddha's teaching uh, uh, on anatta and uh, the, the the development of wisdom, the uh, panya paramita, the development of wisdom is uh, uh, centered around this uh, this quality. If we can recognize that the the mind is not really a person, the mind is uh, is a set of natural qualities. Then when that the the the, the uh, flow of experience of feelings and perceptions, thoughts, memories, emotions, as we are bringing attention to that, as we watch those arising and uh, taking shape, passing away, then uh, the uh, the quality of uh, say of peacefulness, the quality of clarity, and the quality of, of uh, freedom. That is experienced in relationship to that is much much stronger uh, than if we are relating to everything in a personal way. If I say my mind, I'm a person, I'm a man, I'm a Theravadin, I'm English, <laughs> I'm 61 years old, I'm the Abbot of Amaravati Monastery. All those I-ams they're like a, a box that we we put our heart into, kind of a little tightly packed box. But when we see this body, this mind, this personality, these memories, these feelings, as aspects of nature, it's like the, 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 uh, the walls of the box just flopping open. <laughs> there's, no, uh, there's no limit, there's no sense of boundary, there's no sense of, of limitation. There's a quality of, of freedom and peace and ease that comes with that. So when people go forth, like our, our two new candidates, uh, I've got their names, Jalito and Niraso, haven't quite memorized them myself yet. So Venerable Jalito and Venerable Niraso, uh, taking on the novices training its to, precisely to support this kind of re reshaping the vision of, of this life as a human being, to, to change the view, to change the way that this life is experienced, taking on the robes, taking on the life of being penniless. Taking on the, uh, the 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 dependency upon a, a teacher; these are all ways that uh, the the Buddha say um, uh, established the traditions and practices that he established to help support that letting go of self-view and living in a a, a way based upon dhamma, and uh, and particularly living on arms. That uh, people are often when they come to visit here. Uh, often people from outside the Buddhist tradition they will walk around and say you've got a lot of build you've got a lot of buildings here and how many people live here and you say well it's about fifty people live here but there's usually about eighty people on average staying here overnight uh, all round the year they say well how do you how do you pay for this place what do you charge or so it's all done on on free will donations and they go really say, yes it's all it's all just freely offered there's no charge you can't buy anything here if you try to buy something you can't <laughs> but everything is free everything is freely offered and so people are amazed at that uh, but the the this in a sense is really learning to depend upon dhamma depending upon the natural order rather than having your own sort of fixed security system <laughs> but uh, the going forth into the uh, the the ochre robe and living with an alms bowl you're one baht <laughs> Uh, one bar to last you the rest of your life, or at least for the rest of the year. The uh, uh, that is uh, a gesture of trusting the Dhamma, rather than the, say depending on material uh, support or security of having money in the bank or the uh, the ways that we we like to prop up our lives. So that gesture of going forth, it's a, a say stepping forth into uh, a, the unknown. It's in a sense opening the heart to uh, the quality of uncertainty that you, you give up the use of money. Uh, living, if you live here at Amravati, it's pretty likely that someone, if someone, uh, uh, someone brought food today, that other, some other people are going to bring some food tomorrow. Just in terms of statistics, <laughs> there's a large number of people that support this place, but. Uh, uh, it, it is also a risk. And uh, right now, Ajahn Vinita, one of the, the monks resident here, is walking on a Tudong, uh, walking through the countryside just with his bowl and his robes and, uh, and uh, a minimum of camping gear. He's off in the Welsh mountains. He doesn't know where his food's going to come from tomorrow. Uh, there's not, it's not that many villages in that part of Wales either. But he, he's happy to walk and he hasn't, got a, hasn't got any money, hasn't got a layperson with him. He's just walking on faith. And if somebody shows up and offers him some food, great. And if they don't, that's great too. He'll just keep walking. <laughs> and uh, So that, that, uh, that spirit of uh, going forth in faith and then trusting in, in the, uh, the benevolence of the universe, that's very much the, the spirit of our lives and the spirit of the the Buddha's way and that when we make that gesture uh, of going forth and and trusting then it also uh, say uh, it brings a great freedom to our own heart it helps us to not be reliant on uh, on the usual material dependencies but also that has the effect on the the world at large and so other people I don't know how exactly it's been for Ajahn Vinita He's been keeping in touch every week or two, <laughs> sending me a message. And he's been well-fed so far. But uh, the the experience of many of us who've been on these these long walks is that when even if you do miss a meal once or one or two days or two or three days in a row, when you meet some people and they find out, you haven't eaten for three days, quick! <laughs> Let me take you to the shop and they'll, they'll load you up with uh, uh, plenty of food for that day and then you... Uh, uh, you you uh, you've made their day they've had a really uh, lovely opportunity to to help you to uh, to practice generosity and you you've got enough energy and resources to keep uh, to keep on walking so that uh, that uh, that sense of being ready to let go of guarantees to be ready to let go of of certainty and to be open to what the, the universe offers. I think, uh, again, most of us gathered here are not monastics. But for the lay community I feel this is also a very beautiful example that the Buddha encouraged. Because how much worry, how much anxiety do we have that things are not going to be exactly as I planned, exactly as I hoped for, that, you know, that we want to know exactly how it's going to be. and the more fixed and rigid we are in our plan and our hope and our expectations, the more we create anxiety and tension within ourselves. And the more that we are, are open and uh, and ready for whatever the universe offers, uh, and we're more adaptable, then the the more enjoyable we find life uh, uh, to be, that we we are experiencing the sense of, well I was expecting it to be like this, but instead it's turned out like that. Okay. <laughs> So many years ago, I, I like to uh, 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 recollect how we had uh, one of the senior monks, one of Ajahn Chah's senior disciples, uh, Lumpur, Lumpur Jan, staying here in 88, 89. I think he stayed here for a year, and he'd never been outside of Thailand before, hardly even outside of Northeast Thailand. And he was very much a kind of Northeastern Thai lad, a, a very one of the earliest disciples of Ajahn Chah who'd been with him from the beginning. And uh, coming to the west and, and living here at Amravati in Chidhurst, it was a really strange experience for him. You know, uh, he was amazed by escalators, like you know, moving staircases, and the moving walkways in the airports, he thought they were great. He thought, oh, when my legs give out, I can get one of these in my monastery. I can, instead of doing walking meditation, I get, I'll get two of them going in different directions. So I can just stand on one and go this way, then go on the other and go back the other way. So he, the many, many aspects of Western life were kind of amazing and wonderful to him, and many things were extremely surprising. Um, and so we were a little bit—I was one of the junior monks here at that time—and we were always a bit cautious of uh, sort of trying to set things up and do things in a good way for him, or trying to say, "Oh, it's going to be like this," or "This uh, this person's going to come and visit," and um, and so. Trying to uh, to sort of make sure he he, uh, he was okay for him, and over and over again he would use this phrase "di mungan, di mungan. That's good too, and that there were so many things he was not he'd never met before, he'd never experienced before, that were kind of completely strange and, and unexpected for him. But he had this wonderful adaptability, like "di mungan." And sometimes you could feel like he's like, "Oh, what? Okay, yeah. di mungan. <laughs> That's good too." And uh, it was a really wonderful teaching that someone who was uh, for for whom it was so un- unexpected and so different, and yet he kept taking refuge in adaptability. That uh, things that he'd never seen before, and never had to deal with before, he was ready to give it a go. And they oh, never eaten that before, never worn that before, <laughs> never been, never had to deal with that before. But okay, and I feel that that kind of that that you know that's good too. That attitude for for all of us, whether we're monastics uh, or whether we're lay people, this is again a a powerful um, presence in our lives, a a part of the legacy of the Buddha's teachings. It encourages this quality of adaptability. And one of the things I I frequently say uh, here when people ask for advice, I will say, adaptability is the key to happiness. The more rigid we are, the more suffering we create, the more tension and stress. The more we are able to be adaptable and find that dimangan place in the heart, then the more we'll be able to deal with health and sickness, gain and loss, praise and criticism, uh, comfort and discomfort, we'll be able to to work with all of that. And not just becoming kind of, uh, uh, say, insensitive, but rather with our openness of heart, we can we can see that uh, I was expecting this but it's turned out like that okay well maybe I'll just go this direction in, instead and we find that we are able to be more effective in our lives more uh, say in tune with things in tune with the the needs of the people around us and in tune with our own uh, our own capacities our own interests and what's possible for us we can make better use of our own abilities and also fit in more easily and more completely with the the people around us, in our families, in the workplace and uh, on the street. So I will offer these thoughts for reflection on this Visaka Puja Day and uh, offer my blessings also for our two new candidates, Niraso and Jalito. They have to remember their names as well. So the one who is um, free from all hungering and the other one who is uh, radiant, Uh, so then we will uh, uh, say close with the uh, uh, offering of the sharing of blessings, and then the final homage to the triple champ.